President Biden will deliver the State of the Union Address to Congress on Tuesday. It's Biden's opportunity to make the case that he can and will deliver on promises he made to the American people. And it's a critical moment for him to do that. New polling has found that a majority of Americans don't feel like he's done much in his first two years in office. But as all eyes are on him, we wanted to take a look at one of the key people who will be sitting behind him during his speech, Vice President Kamala Harris. A Kamala Harris story is never just a political story. It's also a gender equity story. It's also a race story and about how all of that is intertwined. And one of the really, really hard things is this continuum, this paradigm, where it's like you sort of know there is racism, there is sexism in America. But where is that line where, like, racism and sexism sort of ends and, like, just simple competence and being good at your job begins? Cleve Woodson is a White House reporter for The Post. He's been writing about how Biden has deployed Harris as vice president and whether she's proven herself as a viable leader for her party. There's this conundrum for the Democratic Party that, like, they want someone like Kamala Harris to win. I've talked to people who've said, this is what I've worked my whole career for, that a Black woman of color uh, could one day be president, but they also want to win, right? And that's this cognitive dissonance that is driving Democrats crazy. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm your guest host, Kim Belware. It's Monday, February 6th. Today, how Harris and Biden's relationship has changed since his first presidential run, and what her role might be in Biden's expected re-election campaign. She's Biden's sidekick, right? She's trying to promote whatever uh, the administration wants and, and the administration needs, the pandemic or immigration and all of that stuff. But there's also sort of this undercurrent of whether Kamala Harris is building her own, you know, presidential run in two years if Biden doesn't run or in six years if Biden does run for re-election and all of that stuff. And so on one level, she's very much, you know, pro-Biden and everything I can do to benefit Joe Biden and, and all of that stuff. And then on the other level, it's like kind of emerging as this sort of next generation Democratic star that may one day lead the party. So take us back to the 2020 presidential campaign and remind us why Biden ultimately decided to nominate Harris as his VP. Yeah. So Biden said during the campaign that he would nominate a woman as vice president, um, that he would make history, right? And there was this uh, you know, a veep stakes and, and a search. And Harris, who had run for president herself during that same cycle. I stand before you today to announce my candidacy for president of the United States. Basically was the front runner from beginning to end and ultimately emerged as the person that, that Biden picked. And Joe, I'm so proud to stand with you. And I do so mindful of all the heroic and ambitious women before me, whose sacrifice, determination, and resilience makes my presence here today even possible. It's somewhat of a nod to the role that Black women have played in the Democratic Party and in Biden's own politics. Um, they helped Biden get elected in South Carolina. They, they helped him a lot in 
uh, Super Tuesday states, which are more diverse than the early voting states. And so a lot of folks saw it as as Biden kind of giving black women their due, uh, but also sort of setting up Kamala Harris, you know, putting her in a really, really good position going forward. Before he tapped her, they were competitors. What kind of relationship did they have during the primaries? Kamala Harris actually knew uh, Joe Biden's late son, Bo Biden. They were both attorney generals at this, the same time. They were, they were sort of close, but they were competitors. And I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden. Um, I do not believe you are a racist. And I agree with you. Kamala Harris kind of came for Joe Biden, talking about his comments and, and statements about sort of sitting down with segregationist senators and, and those kind of policies. So just bringing, you know, a sort of incendiary attack uh, based on race that sort of got to the heart of like who Joe Biden is very early on. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. And that that caused some tension within Joe Biden's camp, right? Because he ultimately picked her for vice president. And there were some folks, I think including Jill Biden, who were just like, why are you picking this person that basically came knives out for you in this debate? Months later, Harris is out. Harris is no longer running for president. And Biden is looking at her to be to be the vice president. And that just caused some consternation in his camp. So, Cleve, we're entering the third year of President Joe Biden's term. And there's been a lot that this administration has dealt with, with the pandemic and inflation and a lot that they've also accomplished legislatively. They've had landmark climate change legislation, infrastructure funding. So I'm curious how Kamala Harris has fit into these last couple years of his presidency. Yeah, so it can be a little opaque. It can be a little difficult to suss out what specific role Kamala Harris has. When I ask her advisors, for example, what did Harris contribute to this? What did she say in this meeting? They're always very close to the vest, or they say that she contributes her her lived experience and all of that stuff. It's also very clear that Biden leans very heavily on this really close cadre of advisors that have been around him for, uh, you know, 30, 40 years, like decades. And so he meets with Kamala Harris regularly. They have private conversations and all that stuff. They were particularly close in the early days of the administration because there was a pandemic and nobody's traveling, right? They're just all stuck in Washington together. But it's, it's kind of difficult to suss out exactly what Harris contributes. Everybody says there is some contribution. I'm not saying there is no contribution. It's just kind of difficult to say, you know, this policy or this thing. One of the things she's been very adamant about, and her people have been very adamant about, is that she's trying to help support Biden as much as possible uh, in everything. In part because that's the role of the vice president, but also because a lot of Democrats feel that uh, Kamala Harris's future is intertwined with Biden's administration. Yeah, this sounds like a really tough position. And there are some things that she has been specifically put in charge of. Can you talk more about the decision to put Harris in charge of voting rights and immigration from Latin America? Because I'm wondering how much power the vice president actually has over those issues 
and what Biden wanted from her in those roles. Early on, Biden put Harris in charge of addressing the root causes of migration from Central American countries, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras. As everyone knows, a few weeks ago, the president asked me to take on a role of leadership in addressing the root causes of migration and and to focus on the Northern Triangle countries, uh, similar to the work he did when he was vice president years ago. And so the work we are doing is informed by that approach and that strategy and that direction. And the thought is that she is not tasked with, it's very inside baseball, right? She's not tasked with immigration writ large, with the whole process, with the border and all that stuff. She's just trying to address the root causes of immigration from these three countries, right? But that's not how the public sees it. That's not how Republicans who are seeking to demonize her see it. And, you know, they they labeled her the border czar. Our border czar is greeting fishermen in the Philippines when there's a crisis at the southern border. What do you want Kamala Harris to do now? Uh, you know, honestly, I, I have no words for her. Every time she opens her mouth, it becomes a crisis that the White House needs to clean up. Uh I know there's one thing... Kind of really sought to tie very closely the the, the problems at the border, the influx of people to the southern border to Kamala Harris. You know, and and there's different schools of thought about whether Kamala Harris is just being the good soldier and doing what Biden, you know, Biden says, or whether she's basically been given this impossible task that has bedeviled, what, generations of presidents. A lot of her supporters will say this is just a, a task that is destined to fail and to make Kamala Harris look like a failure. Whereas folks on the Biden side will say, you know, vice presidents tend to get difficult, impossible jobs. It's a, it's a very hard position to be in. Now, on voting rights, it was clear that voting rights would emerge as a key issue in 2022, or Democrats suspected that or expected that at least. Um, and so Harris actually asked Biden to be one of the faces of the fight for more voting access, particularly in these southern states. We will fight to safeguard our democracy. We will fight to secure our most fundamental freedom, the freedom to vote. And, you know, gave speeches in the the beginning of 2022 and traveled throughout the country in the beginning of 2022, basically to try to take this issue head on. Harris has also been deployed by the administration to talk about some other controversial issues like abortion rights. Can you talk about the administration's thinking behind those decisions? So for context, you have to sort of understand Biden's difficult relationship with the A-word. Biden is a, a devout Catholic. He goes to church every Sunday. For a very long time, was not a supporter or not a not a strong ardent supporter of abortion rights. It was the one area or one of the areas where he was kind of out of step with the mainstream of his party. And over time, that has evolved and he's kind of come, you know, parallel and and, and on, on par with his party. Meanwhile, you have Kamala Harris, who was a historic first female vice president, uh, you know, who stood strong on abortion rights for all of her time in the political spotlight. And so she's really taken the lead on at least the public face of the administration's fight to ensure abortion rights across the country. The right of every woman in every state in this country to make decisions about her own body is on the line. 
And I've said it before, and I will say it again. How dare they? How dare they? She's convened groups of abortion providers at the White House in Tallahassee a few weeks ago. I was I was with her when she sort of announced a presidential memorandum that would ensure access to medication abortions and all of that stuff. And so her insiders, the people that I've talked to, basically say, um, you know, it, it's her effort to, to sort of seize on this issue that matters to Democrats writ large, that matters to, um, to women, to African-American women, and to sort of use this uh, as a means of sort of connecting the Democratic Party, obviously with her future in mind. Well, a lot of these issues that have been trailing Harris are ones that a lot of vice presidents deal with. You can't overshadow the boss. You have to define yourself. So what would you say? Uh, Would you say that Harris has received more scrutiny from the press and critics than other vice presidents previously have? Yeah, I mean I I think I would I would push back on that question just a little bit. Not not I don't think you're wrong. Um but I just think that Harris is a historic figure. And as a historic figure, she faces more scrutiny, more attention. Part of that evidence is my job, right? And there's several reporters from major news organizations who are who are either, you know, primarily or mostly concerned with um following Kamala Harris. Like, I, I, you know, I, I can't remember. I don't, there was not this much scrutiny of uh, Mike Pence or Al Gore or, or Joe Biden. And that's, that factors into this debate about Kamala Harris because a lot of folks will say, you know, she, she is not as politically seasoned as Joe Biden and all of that stuff. But these people as vice presidents were sort of allowed to not be perpetually in the spotlight. And that's one of the things that her her um, her supporters argue, right, is that, you know, she she's going to make mistakes. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be tr- tough, uh, you know, terrain to navigate. But the, the nature of our society and how it approaches women particularly women of color in politics, is that, like, there's a, a big flashing light whenever she does something wrong. And, and what impact does that have on her opportunity to succeed as a politician? After the break, I talk with Cleve about Harris and Biden's relationship now and how Democrats are thinking about 2024. We'll be right back. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. So on Tuesday, President Biden and Vice President Harris are going to be headed to Congress, where Biden will give the State of the Union address. And it's the annual speech where the president basically lays out his plans for the coming year. Do you have an idea of what we might be hearing from the president? You know, I I do not have a crystal ball, but it's been very clear in the lead up that Biden will tout the economic gains that the country has made under him. You know, we saw, we're seeing 
the lowest unemployment rate since Neil Armstrong um, walked on the moon. You may even hear that line specifically. We're seeing job growth. We're seeing kind of the White House saying that it's keeping the country out of a recession. Um, He's going to do progress, progress, progress. The Inflation Reduction Act. There's a uh, last week they basically said that they're going to come come out of the uh, you know the pandemic emergency status. So there's so what you're going to see Biden do is say, look, over the last two years, I have done all of this stuff. Now they've had a bit of a problem getting everyday folks on the street to realize and understand what has happened and what's about to be implemented and all of that stuff. And so it would just be Biden trying to shine and highlight, you know, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, and you need to take notice. I I think that will be sort of this recurring theme of the State of the Union. As we're moving to the latter stage of the administration's first term, uh, there's a different makeup in Congress. And I'm wondering with that and just where we are in the timeline of the administration, are we going to see more of Vice President Harris out and about? In short, yes. The Senate was evenly divided 50-50. And the way the Constitution works is that the tiebreaker, whenever there's a 50-50 vote between Democrats and Republicans, goes to the vice president. So Harris's schedule was always at least a little bit tethered to the Senate calendar. I wrote a story about this a couple weeks ago where, you know, there's literally— a group of staffers whose job is to keep the vice president apprised of when she might have to dash to the Capitol to make a vote, right? And if you are a a presidential aspirant who wants to get out into the country as much as possible, that is difficult, right? You can't go to California because the Senate might be voting on Tuesday, uh, or the Senate typically votes on Wednesday nights, so you, you can't really travel on Wednesday evenings and all of that stuff. And so for Harris— that burden, quote unquote, like it's, I, I say quote unquote because, you know, for Harris, every time Harris voted, Democrats won, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a burden, but it's one that she's happy to take on because it means they're actually making progress. But you know, for Harris, the you know potential presidential aspirant, it means that 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 burden goes away, and now she can travel more. I think this week she's doing an event. Um, with a lot of travel, like every day, every day this week, you know, there's there's some foreign travel planned. There's just all of this stuff that that she has more opportunity to do to sort of build her name recognition and to let people know what she's doing now that she doesn't have to come back to to break ties in the Senate over and over and over again. Yeah. So we know, of course, that Harris's political future is really tied to Biden's. So what is the latest on if he's running in 2024? And do we know whether or not Harris will be on that ticket? So Biden has said he's running in 2024. He's running for re-election, um, you know, and stay tuned for the announcement and all of that stuff. And Harris and Biden have both said that Harris is going to be on the ticket. Now, there are grumblings and and, and Democratic fears and, and worries and all of this stuff. Should, is Harris a drag on the ticket? And should she not be, be on the ticket or, or whatever? But both of them have said, you know, pretty unwaveringly that they're going to, you know, both be on this ticket in 2024. Now, what's happening in those private family dinners or those back offices and all that stuff, you know, we're not we're not privy to. All we know is what Biden has said that he will do. So all this naturally leads me to wonder about Harris's prospects after the Biden administration. Does she have any presidential ambitions? 
you know, when I ask Kamala Harris that question directly, she will say that she's just working for the American people and trying to do the best job that she can and all of that stuff. What most Democrats feel is that, you know, she ran for president once. She probably has aspirations on um, on the nation's highest office, that the vice presidency for Democrats and for Republicans has historically been one of the best launching pads for somebody to at least get the nomination of their party and, you know, vis-a-vis the, the, the presidency as well. So everyone assumes and is acting and behaving as if she has, um, you know, presidential ambitions. There's no reason to, to, to not believe sort of those assumptions. But has she officially stated or officially said or whatever? No. Now she is saying, you know, good soldier. I am, you know, trying to support the Biden administration and do my job. Does it look like after Biden is out of office, is he grooming her to be a successor? And are Democrats excited about the prospect of a potential Harris presidency? I would love to be a fly on the wall of their uh, their lunches. You know, just when the cameras are off and they're just in the, you know, in the Oval or, or, or dining, whatever. Um, and just to know what what that is like. What I can say is that just by nature of picking Kamala Harris as the vice president, Biden has put her into an extraordinary position. Now, the the question that is on a lot of Democrats' minds and a lot of Kamala Harris supporters' um, minds is what has Biden done other than giving her that position, which is a big thing. You know, you get your own plane, you get convening power, you were the vice president, you've made history and all that stuff. But like, what is Biden? And, and also more importantly, maybe as important, what are the people around him, his supporters doing in that? Is there is there one-on-one advice? Uh, you know, it, the, the, does he give her tips on on fundraising or retail politics or, or whatever? That's just something that um, I don't know yet. And I'm trying ardently to figure out. What's the chatter or concerns maybe about Harris running for president? Your your word chatter is really what I was trying to get at in the story because I hate rumors, right? And we had been hearing a lot of chatter that was like, Harris isn't up to snuff or, you know, Harris does not have what it takes or Democrats are sour on Kamala Harris. And so what I sought to do was to understand what's behind that chatter. If Harris is going to become president, if she's going to become the leader of the party, there is a path. There are people that she has to persuade and that she has to convince and that have to believe in her. And so I talked to a lot of the people that are on that path, and a lot of them have questions or they have doubts or they have worries. And it's sort of twofold, right? They feel that Kamala Harris, as a, as a black woman, would face any number of difficulties and challenges from the Republican Party, from opponents, from doubters and critics and naysayers, just like Hillary Clinton faced, just like Barack Obama faced, just like Stacey Abrams faced. Like, that's the reality of the America that we live in. And so they know these challenges are going to exist, and their question is whether or not Kamala Harris can um, kind of overcome those challenges, right? And their, their questions and their concerns really center around Kamala Harris as a communicator, these gaffes that she's made, her visibility, you know, can she be an inspiring and charismatic leader that uh, really galvanizes the party? Um, And not just galvanizes the party, but also, you know, gets 270 electoral votes. And there are just questions from Democrats around that. 
I talk to a lot of Democrats who will, will sort of say, look, that we Democrats are, you know, bedwetters or we are, you know, we are, we are overly anxious and nervous about things like this. Um, but they'd also say, you know, Trump beat Hillary Clinton. And so there, there's this sort of dissonance. There's this, this conflict among Democrats about what Kamala Harris has to do to show that she is up to snuff to being the leader of the party. Cleve, thank you so much. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. Cleve Woodson is a White House reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Arjun Singh. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Lucy Perkins. Thanks also to Alana Gordon and Ariel Plotnick. If you love Post Reports and want to support our work, please subscribe to The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Kim Belware. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen.